the Wright brothers gave humanity a way to fly around the way that we dreamed of superhumans doing. A few short decades after that, we'd send astronauts to the moon for us to now in the 21st century to be able to sit on our flight and complain because the Wi-Fi is down or there's a little bit of turbulence and they haven't come out with my ginger ale it is just extraordinary. Icarus would be jealous. This is Infrastructure Junkies. Welcome Infrastructure Junkies to your show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Infrastructure Junkies podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry, exploring eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and infrastructure development. On Sunday afternoon, I was traveling home from Texas on an American Airlines jet. I fly a couple of dozen times per year, so much that the iteration of my current life and routine have evolved around the availability of safe, reliable, and relatively affordable air travel. I fly for this podcast. I fly for business. I fly for the International Right-of-Way Association. I fly to visit people who are important to me, and I fly for vacation, most importantly. The trek from Virginia Beach to Fort Worth, Texas cannot be driven on a regular basis. It's not a reliable way to get back and forth for business or visiting purposes. It's safe to say that the availability of air travel is what brings you this podcast. My entire career and personal life really revolve around my access to air travel. Same as you, Dave, my personal life, my, my career, all of it revolves around safe air travel. And I thought about the exact same thing, like this podcast wouldn't even exist but for air travel in America, right? I never would have met you. I don't think I would have been nearly as involved in the International Right-of-Way Association. So yeah, tremendously important to my entire lifestyle as it is today. And you know what? You and I would not have met today's guest if but for air travel. And we have talked about this offline together about air travel is part of our infrastructure system. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that goes into it. Even in the right-of-way acquisition world, you can't just build an airport. And even if you acquire the property, you have to acquire the necessary navigation easements. But before we even get to the nitty-gritty and the details of right-of-way acquisition, what's amazing to me is the relatively short history of the airline industry in the United States. Now, We did an episode last season about the Transcontinental Railroad, and one of the things that we pointed to in that episode was how we went from there being no such thing as rails and trains to suddenly there were a gazillion miles laid throughout the United States. It just seemed to explode. And if you think the advent of rail travel occurred quickly, wait till you hear how quickly we became in the development of safe air travel. That will blow your mind. And today, dear listeners, we have with us, returning again, Professor Greg Jackson. I know you guys remember listening to two of my very favorite episodes of all time about the Brooklyn Bridge, which was actually a two-parter, and the Transcontinental Railroad. So Greg Jackson is the host of the wildly popular History That Doesn't Suck podcast. He does a fantastic job. Uh, I know you guys follow and listen to him. If you don't, go subscribe immediately. You will not be disappointed. He puts on an incredible, incredible show. So Greg Jackson is our professor, and he's going to tell us a story. Greg, thank you for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back yet again. It's always fun to hang out with you guys. Indeed. Yes. It's always fun to hang out with you. And you know, I, I alluded, Greg, to the fact that it was only because of air travel that 
we met you in Nashville a couple of years ago. I sure as heck am not driving from Virginia Beach, Virginia to Nashville. <laughs> I bet you're not either from Utah. Yeah, from Utah, that's quite a haul. Definitely not for a conference, that's for sure. As great as that conference was, flight is the only way that it would have made any feasible sense to, to swing that. What I think we want to approach this, since this is your forte, is let's let's look at the history of American, shall we call it, airline development through a historic perspective, which will then evolve into how the infrastructure, the early infrastructure, we're not going to get into the modern infrastructure of this stuff. And there were a couple of what I would call gearheads out in Ohio way back yes, about 123 years ago who had a crazy idea. So tell us about these guys. Yeah, they were definitely gearheads, the Wright brothers. One of my absolute favorite stories about American history, frankly, because these two, they're such a feel-good story. You know, they're everything positive in my mind about the United States wrapped up into one fun little tale. And there's just no baggage with them. They're just good dudes. So these two brothers, they're uh, the youngest of a, of a larger set of siblings, uh, a very loving family. Their father is uh, a bishop and uh, very devoted to, to his flock, to his church. And that kind of dictates their lives. They, they move around quite a bit. In 1878, though, when they were living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, their father was coming back from a work trip. While he was out, he picked up this little device. I have three kids. I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to being the traveling parent who you pick up some little something for your kids. It, they can tell he's got something in his hand. So, you know, they start clawing at, kind of pulling at it, and he gives it a little wind and lets it go. And this little propelled device just flies up. It soars in the room all the way up to the ceiling, hits the ceiling, kind of bounces at the top and then settles back down. And the youngest two, Will and Orv, they're just delighted. They're ecstatic. They really latch onto it. They, they called it a bat because it flew. So this captured their imaginations for quite a while. And like all of us, you know, they grow, they got older, had other ambitions, other things come up, faced some tragedies. Their mother passed away, tore them apart emotionally. Because again, they were a tight-knit, close family. But through all of this, as we get into the 1880s and typhoid that comes into their lives in a very painful way, uh, I guess there's no fun way that typhoid <laughs> comes, but Orv, Orv gets typhoid when he's 25 years old. And uh, so this is 1896 now. And Will, just a loving brother, he reads to his bedridden sibling anything and everything. Of course, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, there's you know, all the things that we tend to go to when we're bored. It's newspapers or the books in the house, maybe a small city library. So he's reading the newspaper. As he does, they read about Otto Lilienthal, a German who has, had built a glider. He'd had many a successful glider, but this summer, 1896, he had an unsuccessful flight that resulted in his death. And you might think that they would read that and go, oh my goodness, how scary, terrifying. I never want to try that. Instead, it went the other way around. Reading about his death sparked in their minds a remembrance of the bat, of the, the thought of flying. And that kind of sparked these two who had bounced around and tried a few different uh, things successfully. Uh, they, they had a print shop. They had a bicycle shop. 
So they were, I mean, gearheads, Dave, you're right on that. That's the right term. These are guys who, who could think their way through machines. Neither of them graduated from high school, which I also think is just remarkable. Their other siblings did. So forgive me for yet another little tangent here on how awesome the Wright family was. I love that they've got college graduates. They've got barely getting through some of high school siblings. There's no shame in this family. They, they seem to really be supportive of each other's different paths rather than shoehorning each other into needing to do A, B, or C or telling them that they're not, not of value. Anyhow, I'm sorry. I have just blathered about their background here, getting you up to 1896. No, but, no well, no. listening to your podcast and listeners, if you want to take a deep dive, there's a whole episode on history that doesn't suck about uh, the Wright brothers. But that was one of the most compelling things I thought about their stories. I've always heard about the Wright brothers and Kitty Hawk and Wright brothers. Flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really loved hearing more about their family, their background, their upbringing. I, I know that they had a sister named Kate, I believe. That just seemed yep. like such a loving, doting. I kept waiting for there to be some family scandal, and they, they were just so lovely. So, Greg, at the time when the Wright brothers got interested, you mentioned they read about some poor guy who died, but was there any air travel or were humans up in the air at all back then? Absolutely. I mean, if the Wright brothers are the fathers of flight, Otto's the grandfather. And, you know, we could even go to others before him. I mean, Flight is something that humanity has dreamed about forever. Think back even to ancient Greece. I, I, we have the, the tales of Icarus, right? And, and in his hubris flying too high, it, well, we could talk about how that's symbolic, but at the same time, the fact that that image would even come up, that our ancient predecessors would dream of flight, right? It's, it's something that the gods do. So... That's always been there. Leonardo da Vinci had sketched up a flying machine. Did he do anything with that? Was there a prototype? Not to our knowledge. But even then, you know, we're, we're looking hundreds of years back before the Wright brothers, there, there were those sorts of ideas. But really, it's by the time we get to the 19th century, you've got a few people that are experimenting with gliders. Now, here's a key thing we want to latch onto. What really makes flight happen today is we're talking about powered heavier than air, we're talking piloted or manned, and controlled. All of those elements coming together. So nothing like that has happened yet. But like any other technological advancement, say the light bulb, I'll say this a little tongue-in-cheek, I can get away with it, I think, because I'm a I am a university professor. And nothing but love to my students, but you know, that like sophomore who's taken a history class and has just learned that, oh, maybe someone else thought about electric lighting before Thomas Edison. And now they've got their big talking point for Thanksgiving. Edison didn't invent the light bulb. Well, okay, <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, he stood on a few shoulders, but come on, pal. He's the one who brought it into the home. He's the one that made it really viable. That's the same thing with all technology, of course. So what, what I'm saying is it's the Wright brothers that are going to give us heavier than air craft that is so heavy the wind isn't going to simply pick it up. It's going to have to re rely on an element known as lift. We can talk about that in a little bit. And having a person actually pilot, a lot of different experiments were going on with flying machines. But as you can imagine, when you're just trying out new ideas, a lot of people thought, you know, it's a great idea. Let's not get in this thing. Let's see if it works. Maybe later we'll experiment with putting ourselves up in the air and destroying our bodies and ending our lives. <laughs> and more often than not, it flew for like a few seconds. It went, oh, it was a really good idea that we didn't get in that. That went terribly. So that sort of thing's going on. And this is what makes Otto just the man, this 
heavily bearded, well, your 19th century stereotype German, I guess, in terms of his aesthetic. He's got this awesome beard and um, he's built these, uh, think almost like a flying, like he's trying to be a bird, sort, sort of a look, right? It, it, this isn't your hang glider per se, but it's in the hang glider family. And he's got kind of controls that basically move his wings. He's got various versions of it, but he really had it down. He would go up to, he had a favorite hill, not too far from his home. And he'd take these short flights. He flew probably a thousand times. Now, again, do we now put a big asterisk next to the Wright brothers and say, no, they didn't invent flight? No, the dude was in a glider. There was no engine. He had some control, not total control. That's kind of part of why he, respectfully, uh, part of why he ended up dead. His flights were a matter of seconds. So he was definitely in the air controlling himself. And there were a lot of ideas that there was a lot of orthodox thought established as to the shape that wings should be in, what uh, something referred to as the camber. So basically how much curvature there should be in the wing for it to catch the wind as, as they would jump off cliffs with these gliders. Gosh. Gutsy, Gutsy, right? Can you imagine no. like, well, I'm going to experiment with a glider. Let's see if this works. I'll just go jump off this cliff. That would absolutely kill me if, no, thank <laughs> if you. this doesn't work. These are the people that have pushed the envelope and expanded humanity's abilities. So, Greg, we have these brothers who have gotten through typhoid and their mom died and they've been reading and thinking about this bat toy. What's next? I mean, I've got a kid who I've, I've bought her a bunch of fidget toys and she's interested in some stuff. She's yet to invent anything really substantial. So how did we go from the equivalent <laughs> of a fidget toy and a little bit of reading while you had typhoid to the next step? Yeah. And I want to interject because you, I just want to reemphasize something you already said, Greg. These guys in their adult lives have a history of making bicycles. And yep. I think they owned a printing press and they had a fidget widget or fidget buster, whatever those things are <laughs> called. And as Kristen says, where did this leap come from? Because this guy, Otto, might have been the king, but he didn't have an engine. He certainly didn't have a propeller. So how did two high school dropouts make this leap? This seems like a leap in evolution. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it, it is. And yet I will argue that it makes perfect sense when you consider a few factors. So one is that, and here I'm going to just be the broad historian for a moment. Historians reject by and large the idea of like what's known as great man theory. There's kind of the tendency to downplay like one individual completely altering history these days. But I do think that there is very much space for us to, to know that there are individuals who do change the course. They turn some important corners. They have the audacity to do what everyone else tells them they can't do. And there are plenty of people who perhaps, you know what, maybe their friends were right. Like they just weren't that great of a singer and they super end up not making a career and they work at Starbucks for 20 years. But let me say, if we didn't have these people who had that ambition for all the failures out there, you don't get those screaming successes. You, you have to have that drive. So the Wright brothers, yeah, we look at them and by today's 21st century standards where having a bachelor's degree is required to be a, a, an executive assistant that can go get, fetch coffee for a CEO, it seems crazy that anyone accomplishes something with so little education. Yet, this is a very different America where that sort of norm hasn't been established, there is, I would say, more focus on what a person simply has proven they can do rather than a, a few lines on, on their CV that could be padded. But uh, let's also point out that the bicycle, I know you, you think a bike, 
airplane, your first thought isn't, oh, these are cousins. And yet they are. Both of them have mechanical aspects to them. And both of them, if you're figuring out flight, we're not getting into these massive jets of today. We're talking about very elementary flight. Well, equilibrium and balance are crucial factors there. So not only are these guys gearheads, you know, how to turn wrenches, but they're used to thinking about machines that require an ability to, well, basically of a pilot, a driver to be able to stay constantly aware and constantly adjust as things happen around them. The bicycle is in in some ways, when you think of it that way, merely the two-dimensional version of the three-dimensional aircraft Ah. where the bike, you have that one plane I realize it's not actually two-dimensional, but you have the ground. It is a plane, different plane from, oh, those homonyms will get you every time. But that's the, you know, we're, we're riding on that terra firma, whereas the airplane, let's just say craft and avoid the word plane in that context. The craft, it doesn't have that that axis, if you will, mm-hmm. right? So they're taking their intense, sounds like just passion about figuring this out, mixed with their experience with bicycles and printing presses and whatever else. <laughs> Are they, do they start with a model plane? Or are they doing kites or do they build up? Like where's, where do they go? What's the first thing they do to start to figure this out? Are they drawing things? Are they flying something? Are they small craft or do they buckle themselves in and jump off a cliff? Well, <laughs> the first thing they do, and really it's Will. He's the real driver. Orv is definitely into the bikes. But again, there's just these tight knit brothers. Orv has Will's back, just like Will has orbs and Kate absolutely needs to be thrown in there. She certainly isn't out at Kitty Hawk. She doesn't go with them, but it's touching. It's heartwarming to read their letters. And I can't remember if it was Will or Orv, but one of them just mentions writing letters to Kate because she, in his mind, had to always be included. She had to know what was going on because in his head, she's as much a part of this as the two of them. She might not be the gearhead out at Kitty Hawk, but she's the one who's sacrificing some of her career. She's an Oberlin College grad teaching rambunctious uh, Ohio children. She's giving all of her free time to keep their bike shop running, to keep things going in, in Ohio. So she's very much a part of the team. So when Will gets this passion, Orv, Orv is there for it. You know, he, he's like, sure. I remember the bat. Those were good times. Yeah, you want to experiment with this stuff? Let's do it. There's just so much of that positive energy in this story. So Will, he writes to the Smithsonian. He ends up asking for books and suggestions. He then writes to the U.S. Weather Bureau and says, hey, where where would you go to experiment with flight? They need an open runway of sorts. They also need wind because they are not getting to that engine component yet, right? They they still have to figure out, they have fundamental questions about physics to answer. And they get the answers. That That's all part of this story. They dare to write to these big institutions, these kids with no credentials, as we would see it, and they get responses. They get that support. So the U.S. Weather Bureau basically suggests the coasts, by and large, and a few specific beaches. They also write to uh, Monsieur Chenut, a French immigrant who is like Otto Lilienthal. He's pushing the frontiers of gliders, really. I mean, flight to come, but gliders. He'll later embellish his role as a mentor in, in later recollections uh, to the Wright brothers. But that friendship is, is helpful. And he suggests some beaches as well. And from there, Will starts thinking, okay, where could we take a craft if we built one? And as they sort of triangulate, it, they land on the Outer Banks Islands 
in North Carolina. And that's what takes them to what we know as Kitty Hawk. And I have to just put in a plug. I've spent many, many weeks on the Outer Banks. It's a wonderful vacation spot, not far from where I'm sitting right now. And just jumping ahead, there's the Wright Brothers Memorial on the Outer Banks where you can see the place where they actually tried this stuff. And so they decide that's their destination. Well, did they take anything with them or what'd they do? Hop yeah, on a train? So they, uh, they, they do take a train. Uh, Will actually is the first one out there and he just has a, a, a horrible time getting to the island. I mean, honestly, that's a story in, a, in and of itself. Yeah. Well, I'll just put a pin in that and say, you can go listen to my episode if you want the details on that. But let's just say it is not a smooth process, but he does finally get to this island. It'll be smoother on their future journeys. By this time, it's 1900. They have built themselves a little prototype, uh, a flyer. It's about five foot by uh, 17 foot. 17 feet is the total wingspan. Uh, it's a biplane meaning that's got two sets of wings that are over one another. And um, what, what they have figured out, what they're really experimenting with, so they're trying to figure out this three-dimensional problem. Frankly, the whole world that's interested in flight and there are people around the United States and particularly in Europe that are trying to think this through. So you've got, again, that think of it as three-dimensional. We've got pitch, yaw, and roll. Pitch is your tilt. That's nose to tail, mm -hmm. keeping that in balance. Yaw is your left and right turning. Think of just like when you're driving a car or if you're riding a bike, you turn left, you turn right. So the cyclists that are the Wright brothers, you know, they've got that in spades. That's fine. They're used to thinking about that. The real hard one is roll. And that, if you've ever seen a plane do a barrel roll before, that's what we're talking about. That's Ooh. the left, right, but <laughs> not, not your turning per like se, you're, you're rolling. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I'm thinking about that, Top that Gun, is that axis. inappropriate? Oh, no, that's super okay. on the point. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's perfect. So th that barrel roll sort of action, sure. you got to be able to control that. No one can yet. That's the issue. So again, back to where being mechanics and how their bicycle background actually helps with them stepping into the world of flight. It's a slow day in, in the shop. We don't know the exact details, but we do know that it was a slow day in the bicycle shop. Will was manning it. A customer came in, needed a new inner tube. We don't know if it was after the sale, before the sale, but this is July 1899. He's just fiddling with the the inner tube box. And back then, inner tubes today tend to come in pretty small boxes. They came in longer boxes. It was still kind of a cardboard, but it was an elongated rectangular cardboard container, okay. right? Yeah. And he's pinching the corners and he's basically doing the 1899 equivalent of a fidget spinner with his box. <laughs> and it dawns on him. He looks at the way the box flexes when he's pinching two opposite corners, how the whole thing flexes together. And in that moment, it just strikes him like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's the answer to now how his mind jumps there. I clearly do not have the same brilliant mind that his does. I don't Neither see the do physics, I. but his mind went there. So they build a kite. I mean, it's a sizable kite. If I memory serves, it's about like two by six foot. It takes it to the park. He set up the controls for this by plane essentially you know a ah. two wings on top of each other kite and tries it out and it works sure it ultimately dives and nearly strikes a group of kids who i'm pretty sure pissed themselves but by and large it worked yeah and so they go ahead and build their first flyer and they take that out to kitty hawk 
and start experimenting with it. And sure enough, the thing works. They managed to fly as far as 400 feet at, at a go that year. And that's groundbreaking. That, so these utterly unimportant bike shop owners from Ohio are now setting new records because they've got ideas from an inner two. This episode of Infrastructure Junkies is proudly brought to you by my company, Blackbird Right-of-Way. We specialize in relocation assistance services nationwide. From one parcel to 100, let Blackbird handle your relocation challenges. You can find out more about us at our website. It's blackbirdrow.com. That's blackbirdrow.com. I want to see if I understand some of this correctly. When this happened, this was 1900 that they went to Kitty Hawk for the first time. These yes. guys are like 30 years old. They're yeah. young. Oh, wow. And and this machine, I don't know whether you call it a glider, whether you call it a kite. Greg, I think I, I read from you that it's about 50 pounds and mm -hmm. you operate it by laying down. Yes. And there's yeah, no so you lay down. I, see, Dave, they had to be 30 because I don't <laughs> think anyone 40 plus is going to dare get in this thing, right? They'd right. be like, mm -mm, my back is not, no. nope, mm -mm. not happening. Now, you had to be young enough to still, eh, the brain's fully developed, but maybe not. You're not quite there. You're just like, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is a right, good idea. Right. You know? and, and, and during that, during the first trip to Kitty Hawk in 1900, I think their longest flight was what, 400 feet? A whopping yep. 400 feet and somehow we I know, I know. To, to, to us, that sounds like what a joke, right? right. Yeah. It's but a little more that, of a football field. Yeah. And yet this is an incredible groundbreaking achievement. So, you know, they, they leave absolutely jazzed that their 50 pound roughly glider succeeded. Now they just leave it there, which it, it's mind blowing. Cause of course they don't know that they're making history, right? They don't know that what a success they're going to be. They don't know that in the future, quarters when they do a state series is going to feature them uh, to some degree or going to be on license plates exactly wow. no so to them this is just you know this uh, this scrap it's it's over with we did our experiment it's time to build up another a better one get it right uh no pun intended so they just leave it and this is turning into by the way kind of their own permanent camp but by the time we get to 1903 they have set up shop mm -hmm. on this little island the locals, they know who they are. The, the Wright brothers have become, you know, kind of the, the those lovable outsiders who show up once a year. But they, they leave it and they head back having gathered data and they're ready to repeat. Now, here's the fascinating thing. The next year sucks. This is 1901? They do worse. They come back and encouraged, they built a bigger glider. Right? Bigger is always better, Right. So we get a little bit bigger uh, j just by a couple of feet. But here's the crucial thing. The first year, they were so short on material that they really couldn't get the camber right according to what Otto Lilienthal believed the camber of a wing should be. Again, that's the curvature. Okay. Right? Got it. This time, they had more resources. They're really investing in this thing. So they had enough to make the camber according to Otto's recommendations it didn't fly nearly as well. They could barely keep themselves in the air. It was really, it was a real struggle. Their French friend shows up, he observes them and, and he's blown away. He thinks that they're making a smashing success of it, but the Wright brothers are just absolutely irritated. They're going, this is not working. This is crap. 
they finished that year's flying session just utterly dejected as they're heading back. It's dawned on them that what this means, if they are using Otto Lilienthal, the man of flight, if they're using his calculations and he's wrong, well, that means they have no guideposts. That means everything that the world thinks they know about flight to date is bunk. Oh, boy. Imagine being in career path. You know, we all have those very orthodox and set things, right, that we stand on, whatever our career may be. Imagine realizing one day, I mean, this is the sort of thing that gets you accused of being a conspiracy theorist, right? Right. You're turning around and telling your entire industry, not that flight is an industry yet, but the entire scientific community that you've all got it super wrong. Oh, man. That is right. That's hard to do. First of all, and, and no scientist wants to listen to basically some Midwestern uneducated Americans with no credentials. Now, of course, they got some serious attention when they managed to go 400 feet that first year. But again, these are not men of letters like the hot shots in Europe or on the East Coast at the Smithsonian. Samuel Langley, the director of the Smithsonian, who's also experimenting with flight, like like he wants to listen to these basically farm kids. I mean, again, their dad's uh, a minister, but you know, some Ohio know nothings as far as the scientific world would be concerned. And that summer, I think, was it one of the boys that said, not in 1,000 years will man ever fly? That's Will. Yeah. Will Talk said that. Or as, He's, wow. Yeah. No. Well, because I mean, imagine it's like you've been, forgive me, I'm going to go with another analogy here, but imagine you're hiking through the woods and you just found out that your compass doesn't actually work. You thought it was pointing north and you're not even, not only is it broken, but you don't know how it's broken. It's not like you just realized, oh, this is actually somehow someone got the lettering wrong. It's just backwards. So we've actually been walking south. We thought we were walking north. No, it's more like this thing just utterly doesn't work. We're rudderless. But they don't quit, right? What happens after that? I was going to say, 1901 seems like a good time to quit. Yep. The end. That's the story. That's why we all travel in covered wagons. And honestly... I think that there are many a would-be inventor out there who has done that in, in, yeah. in various... Frankly, there may have been someone who did that with flight and we just don't even know about them because that's where they threw in the towel. That's right. They don't put you on a license plate if you quit. <laughs> so we no. we knew we know that they didn't quit. Did they come back in 1902? That they did. So... These brilliant gearheads. I love that term, Dave. We're going to keep running with it. Great. They built themselves a wind tunnel. That it, which again, these are sorts of things that professionals would do today. But it certainly would not have occurred to me. This is again why they're on the license plate and I'm not. (laughs) They build a not yet, not yet. yet. Okay. (laughs) Um, So sixteen by sixteen inch square and six foot long. They build a wind tunnel in their bike shop. Now, again, this is turn of the century. Electricity, they have electricity wired, I believe, on the first floor of their bicycle shop, but not upstairs. So they need a fan so they can get air going through this wind tunnel. And necessity is the mother of invention. They've got a gas-powered generator running their electric fan so that they can make this wind tunnel go. And with that, they're trying all sorts of different cambers, so different shapes of wings as they send little tiny models because they can't just keep building massive life-size gliders, right? Right. So they're trying these out in miniature. And 
as they do that, they settle in on yet another design. So now they're going to, for the third time, they're going to undertake the sizable journey. Again, there are, there are no commercial flights yet, right? <laughs> they haven't led us there. So again, the long, arduous journey from Ohio to the Outer Banks, to Kitty Hawk, for yet another round of experimentation. They've made their lives a little bit easier by this point. They've invented a bike that can tear through the soft sands of the Outer Banks. Nice. Uh, again, it, yeah, it, it's kind of cool. You, you just see again how these are guys who just, it's like they don't see problems. They just see solutions. Even if they might get down and think, yeah, this won't be solved for a thousand years. Yeah, it's a hyperbolic human moment. They get home and in fact, despite that dejected statement, it's Kate's recollection that they came back and just jumped right to it. She doesn't remember any depression. So as the future tales are being hashed out and that quote gets thrown around, Kate's always quick to say, I mean, yeah, I'm, maybe they had this moment on the train, but by the time they got home, I mean, they never shut up about their planes. That's all <laughs> Papa and I ever heard about the four of them all were living together still at that point. So wind tunnel, 1902, yet again, a even bigger and a better glider. And this is really successful. This is the one that they look at and go, okay, we can pilot this thing without question. And so now it's time to start thinking about how to keep it powered, right? Because you can't live a glider. If you're going to really have flight, then you have to have an engine. You've got to be able to engage the power of lift. Now, I mentioned we'd want to touch on that a little bit earlier. So lift, again, I'm, I'm a historian. I'm by no means trying to step into a, a space that isn't my forte, but as I can best explain it, uh, if you've ever been a kid or if you're just a kid at heart and you're driving down the, the highway and you put the window down and you put your arm out and you kind of cup your hand a little bit and your arm will just suddenly jerk up, you know, oh, yeah. you, you've had that experience. Sure. Well, you're experiencing lift in that moment. Basically, we've got a difference in the air pressure between the air that's passing over your hand and passing under your hand. And that difference in the air pressure is now pulling your hand up, even though your hand, your entire arm is of course far heavier than air, that difference in air pressure can start lifting a heavy object or a person or a jumbo jet if applied <laughs> properly, right. right? Right. Yeah. And so now they're looking at building an engine. They've engaged with the power of lift by using wind to this point. And hence, again, that's why they're at Kitty Hawk. They want those strong winds. But now they're going to try and make flight a thing that can happen anywhere. And that means having an engine that can propel the craft forward, creating that difference in air pressure as the camber of the wings moves forward. Is that making that sense? That makes sense. And that's where we get the lift. And that's how... All these commercial flights you and I sit on in these massive, massive crafts filled with all of our luggage and us and how it takes off. It's all about those engines cranking. We hit critical speed. The air pressure difference comes into play and boom, physics up it goes. There we go. Well, one thing that I took away from listening to your podcast about the right boys, as they're often referred to in, in their family, is that. That's right. In 1902, good job, guys. You flew a bunch. They had a thousand flights on that trip, maybe. But when we think about flights, it's kind of not that much different from what Otto was doing or maybe other people. They're all, everybody's gliding around. Okay. And, yes. and I know there are people that argue whether or not the Wright boys were really the first in flight. But when we talk about the powered and sustained flight, they're like, yes, we can glide. We've got it. We've got it. We've got, we've added the rudder. We've figured out the curvature, which has another name. I don't remember. Cambria. Camber. Yeah, yes. Thank Camber. you. 
Now we're going to power it to have sustained powered flight. Isn't that really where they became the real leaders of the frontier of of this whole thing? A hundred percent. And look, I will gladly acknowledge and celebrate all these other people who pushed the boundaries and brought in some very cool and things off in my cliffs mind. Everywhere. Yes. I mean, it's incredible. And there are people who are contemporary to the rights who are figuring out some of the same things. And I'll touch on one of our friends down in Brazil in a minute who definitely gets credit for at least figuring one thing out before the Wright brothers did. But all that said, <laughs> to me, there's just no contest. It's the Wright brothers. They're the ones that really figured out how to get a heavier than air piloted craft up into the ground and controllable. No one else figured that out before them. Okay, so they've they've had this incredible year in 1902. They're like, we did it. We've got this. Now they're looking for the engine. What happens? How do we get to a powered flight? Do they just load a Model T onto the glider? <laughs> yeah. That would have been nice if they could have done that. Yeah. So they're facing a number of issues. So let's think about lift again. Obviously, you need more lift the heavier the device is mm-hmm. or the object or whatever the case may be. So... Yeah, they need to put an engine on it, but we're still talking about these gliders that they've had. The right gliders have all been, you know, about 100 pounds or so. So how do you go and put a massive heavy engine on it? We're talking some serious weight. They got to invent their own engine. Sure, they can use a lot of the technology that's already there. They're going to stand on some serious shoulders, but they've got to figure that out. Also, they got to figure out propellers because as they're working with, as they start to add a rudder and they start trying to add propellers, they're learning that all these things that we've been using on boats, or again, the engine that comes from the now emerging automobile, right? Ford's really just hitting his early days there. Rudders act differently in the air than they do in the water. Propellers act differently in the air than they do in the water. So now once again, they've got a, it's back to the wind tunnel playing with different shapes on propellers to try and figure that out. They turn to uh, an engineer that they have in their shop, a guy that they trust. They trust him almost as deeply as he loves tobacco, Charlie Mm -hmm. Taylor. The man just chewed like crazy. And he runs the shop when Kate is busy, you know, kind of having her own life and career as a school teacher. And they're off at Kitty Hawk or otherwise dreaming about planes. They still need someone else. That's where Charlie comes in. Charlie once, uh, think about this, how crazy this is. Charlie once looked under the hood of a gas powered automobile, which again is a very new thing in 1901. So Charlie you're a bike guy. You've looked at a gas-powered engine. What do you say you invent an engine for us? <laughs> That's what, see, it. This is all part of what makes the Wright brothers, though, right? They're willing to take these crazy jumps that, you know, if this were a decision being made by committee in some board at a big company, they would never have signed off on any of these steps, right? right? It would all be way too risk adverse. It would not have happened. Charlie's like, sure, I'll, t- I'll take a crack. <laughs> Why not? He does. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we get this four stroke, four cylinder, 12 horsepower uh, engine. I I won't go into the details of what all those terms mean. We'll we'll just throw those out for the engine nuts who know what it means. But it's a very light engine and partly because he builds it brilliantly out of aluminum. Ah, really? Yes. And here's another important thing. We'll get to this in a minute. Part of what obscures the Wright brothers achievements and leads to some of this, oh, did the, were the Wright brothers really the first ones? Well, the Wright brothers are inventing this in the United States where people have a good grasp of intellectual property rights. And the Wright brothers were very closely guarded on all of their intellectual secrets until they had patents. So this is a fine example of that. They didn't want anyone else catching on to building 
an engine out of aluminum. They painted it so that no one could tell that it was aluminum. Smart boys. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They know what's up. They're keeping it close, close to the chest. Don't play poker with the Wright no brothers. Kidding. They'll, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're probably too nice. They'll hand you your stuff back. Is America paying attention at this point to what they're doing? Is it like everybody's waiting and are the Wright brothers going to get off the ground? Is it going to work? Are, are people aware of who they are at this point? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know that I have a perfect ready answer for you, but I'm going to say not terribly. Okay. I mean, sure, you you get the occasional article here and there for some success, but in some ways, I think a parallel might be, and it's not a perfect parallel because the people who are doing this stuff are super rich individuals that are already in the news because they own Amazon or uh. Twitter. But <laughs> when we get the occasional news article about colonies on Mars sure. or an orbit around the planet, that's a commercial flight. And everybody kind of pauses for a second and goes, oh, well, that's kind of cool. But also, so what? How does that actually apply to me? Because until it crosses that threshold, people don't really care. Right. right? This doesn't so what? Their glider made it a couple hundred feet. This does not sound like something that's about to change someone's and life. And nobody's thinking, you no, know, in a no, couple decades, I'm going to be on an airplane. <laughs> a couple of decades. I mean, think about this. W within just a little over a decade, you'll have airplanes in World War One firing machine guns and dropping bombs. Could say that again. How much time? A little over a decade. A little over a decade, we go from jumping off a cliff in a glider to airplanes in World War One, yeah, to the Red Baron, to the, the legendary Red, Red Baron, God. right? Yeah, Woo. yeah. Well, well, Greg, backing up, so they they have this Charlie Taylor guy who seems like a pretty cool dude to hang out with, inventing absolutely an engine specially designed for an airplane, not an automobile, an airplane. Meanwhile, the brothers are back in the wind tunnel creating propellers. What happens when they put it all together? Do they ship an engine and some propellers to Kitty Hawk, and what happens? Well, so they have to ship it in pieces because at this point, man, this is a big, big flying machine. So they ship it in pieces. They have to assemble it all together in Kitty Hawk. And yeah, they're starting to get some attention. But again, the people who are showing up to Kitty Hawk, it's still mostly locals. It's Octave Chanute, their French buddy. He shows up. One of their older brothers shows up. So it's still kind of that intimate inner group. You don't have like a correspondent from the New York Times descending on Kitty Hawk for this historic moment. But they put it together. They've done some warmups. They're ready to try this out. We're now to December 14th, 1903. They flip a coin. By this point, both of them have become pretty adept flyers. Both of them have had their their quite literal crash and burns. They've you know experienced a good shakeup. You know, I've, I've had people actually ask me, was this a coin flip to see who had to do it or who got to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, it was a got to. It's not a had to. They, uh, these intrepid souls embraced what they were getting into. Wilbur wins the coin okay. toss. So he, he gets to fly. But this is the first time. Think about this. So th they've got it on almost like a slide situation, right? Okay. They, they haven't figured out the wheels just yet. So to get the speed, they've got it on, on a chute that will run the plane down a hill that's how they'll pick up the initial speed for takeoff and off it'll go. But this is the first time they've put a craft in the air with propellers, with the engine. By the way, just, forgive me, but just a quick word on the propellers. Charlie, who watched them, who watched the Wright brothers figure that mm -hmm. out, he was convinced that was their greatest achievement. Now, personally, I think that's just because that's the thing Charlie witnessed. Right. It's one of many, many miracles. These things are brilliant. They are eight and a half feet in diameter, built of spruce wood. They think to have the, the propeller spinning in opposite directions ah. because if they have them spinning in the same direction, 
it would create a pole. They've thought through everything. So they figure out all the physics on that as well. Every single one of these little projects by themselves is a miracle. By themselves. And they've done all of them. And they also, a little note that I noticed in your podcast, you mentioned that they used the Roebling cable on this iteration of the plane. And we know what the Roebling cable is and our listeners do because of the episode with you about the Brooklyn Bridge. So I thought that was a fun tidbit. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I threw that in, of course, when, you know, when I came across that because I love seeing the way that these, these things all connect, right? The way that even this so very unrelated, you've got John Roebling figuring out how to create this far stronger cable to build bridges. And now it's helping us get to airplanes. That's the coolest. Right. Infrastructure. It really is. It's, <laughs> yes, it, it all connects at some point. So it will crashes though, because again, it's just, it's such a different animal now. Propellers and engine. It's not a terrible crash. They can tell that they had it right, but user error. So they fix it up. They're excited. Will, he had his turn. So now Orv gets his crack. Now it's December 17th, 10.35 a.m., they launch down their, their little chute on Big Hill there in Kitty Hawk, and we get our first actual manned that, that is piloted, heavier than air, controlled flight ever in the history of humanity. It's 12 seconds. It's 120 feet, and thankfully, one of the, the witnesses, one of the people they're helping, a guy named Josh Daniels, he had this amazing new device that had, you know, that's recently starting to really come into its own. Uh, you might be familiar with it. Is it the iPhone? Uh, it's, it's, it's the predecessor. Ah, yes. The camera. The Tesla. The camera. The camera. And so he snaps a photo of this flight. And so we have that uh, to this day. It's just amazing. You think about all the new technology that's really culminating, right? Like a, a camera that can react that quickly. The airplane built with Roebling cable. The, the engine that's so heavily based upon ideas that are coming from the emerging automobile. All of these different things that are, they accelerate one another. You see how technology is hitting this exponential liftoff, pun intended, as they just all snowball on one another. So with all their intellectual rights secured, knowing that they've got themselves protected, uh, the rights go ahead and start showing off what they've got. And you know, they, they go to France, which France has always seen itself as the leader of flight and the Wright brothers show up and just put everybody to shame, right? They're quite literally doing circles over watching crowds, <laughs> which no one else can do. They, you know, they're circles and, and figure eights up for, you know, as long as they feel like it and, until they come down to land. And at that point, Europe, the world bowed to the Wright brothers. Alberto Santos Dumont, a Brazilian pilot. If you go to Brazil today and say the Wright brothers invented the plane, you might want to show up with security before you make that assertion. In Brazil, Alberto is the inventor of flight. And that is a hill that the typical Brazilian will die on. He did beat the Wright brothers to making a demonstrated public flight. I mean, just like you have plenty of Americans who, who really know nothing about the Wright brothers, but they're happy to rah, rah. Uh, undoubtedly, you've got Brazilians in that same camp for, for Alberto. But for those who kind of know their stuff, they're going to pivot to that point, the, the public display that that's crucial. And the other thing is that Alberto, give the man his credit. He is the one who first had his craft taking off with wheels as opposed to launching oh. with, with a ramp that, that kind of, you know, more like a sled sort of action. Sure. So those are his his unique components, and he should absolutely be celebrated for that. 
But I am going to throw in for the Wright brothers. They're the ones that really nailed the, the whole powered, real control in the air, driven by an engine first. To wrap up, the Wright brothers, it, earlier I mentioned Icarus. Uh, I mentioned that the ancients, gods fly. I mean, the Wright brothers, they, in a way, they gave humanity a way to access the gods. They brought us to this space where we fly around the way that we've dreamed of superhumans doing. I mean, like Superman for crying out loud, right? If we return to, to Icarus, the flying near the sun, that is no longer a scary thing. And in fact, we've pushed beyond that. It's only a few short decades, really, when you think about it after that, that we do push beyond even the atmosphere. We send astronauts to the moon. It's a remarkable accomplishment. And for us to now in the 21st century to be able to sit on our flight and complain because the Wi-Fi is down or there's a little bit of turbulence and they haven't come out with my ginger ale it is just extraordinary. Icarus would be jealous. You mentioned yeah. one thing that just touched me, and that is that when Neil Armstrong went and took a little walk around on the moon, that he had a piece of the muslin from their plane with him. Is that right? He did. Yeah. Amazing. I think it's an awesome tribute not just to the predecessor you know, on whose shoulders he truly stood as he stood on the moon, these brothers who took us off the ground and enabled future inventors and thinkers and engineers to take us out of the atmosphere. But, you know, this fellow Ohioan, like Ohio is just all over this path. It's unbelievable. And, you know, it took us in, uh, just a handful of decades to go from jumping off a cliff to walking on the moon. Un unbelievable. Just a tribute to ingenuity <laughs> and humanity. Thank you for sharing this story with us, Greg. As always, you are a delight and we learned so much from you. Again, we'll uh, encourage our listeners to go follow history that doesn't suck. Greg has many, many stories to tell and you'll never be disappointed if you push play on his podcast. Oh, thanks, thanks, Greg. Guys.